Welcome to Table Radio. This is the second theme in our Rooted series, Transforming Faith. The following is Josh's sermon from our Big Table service on Sunday, October 25th. Enjoy. Everybody, I'm Josh, one of the leaders here at the table. I want to tell you stories of transformation. So we've been going through a series called Rooted, that what is core to the faith will be core in our hearts, that we would be hardcore, as Tina likes to say, always give her credit for that. And we started two weeks ago by describing, describing from the scriptures how or that God does change and transform. Tried to establish that and it preached two weeks ago. And then... And then, last week, we discussed that idea that God does change. How does this all work out? We brought it to our neighborhood tables. We had something online as well. This week, we're taking the same theme, and I'm going to demonstrate it. So I'm going to open up the scriptures, as Anna mentioned, look through someone who had radical transformation, and we'll jump off from there. And I'm going to tell you some ways in which God has transformed me over time, and we're also going to look at the Apostle Paul. So there's three people being transformed in this scenario, and I'm going to hope and trust that it will connect with you in some way. So let's read it. This is Mark chapter 5. Let me tell you that just prior to this in chapter 4, Jesus has spoken in a bunch of parables or allegory-type stories about the kingdom of God starting small and growing big, for example. And then he crosses to the other side of the sea. See, they had like a west coast, east coast thing on the Sea of Galilee. On the west coast were the Israelites. And on the east coast was the Decapolis, which were ten or so Roman cities. Now, it was a little more uh, divided than, say, liberal and conservative in Canada or Democrat and Republican, even. This is a highly inflamed situation. He crosses the sea. He, as a West Coast person, as an Israelite, is going to the dark side, the place where no good Jew would go. Okay, there's some some signs and symbols, and as we go, I'll read it and kind of explain it as we go. So Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. Okay, so this is a picture of a man in the worst place, and he's the worst off. Like up to this point, Jesus has only been in Israel country. This is the first and only time with no explanation that he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the sea. And this is the man he meets immediately. This man has he's got double whammies, okay? He's got two marks against him. One, he's got all the signs of insanity. So you read some of the the literature of the day from the rabbis and wandering around, cutting himself, crying out, and being in in tombs, 
this is like a crazy person, out of sorts, completely out of sorts. Now, so that would be sort of the modern psychological interpretation, which they would have had or shared in some way. But it was more than that. These are all the signs of unholiness, uncleanness, signs of distance from God. So there's also religious category to this. This person is far away from God, and he's inhabited by unclean spirits. That's that language. This is possession language. So he's got psychological affliction, and he's got spiritual affliction. He is absolutely the worst off character in all of the Gospel of Mark. And he has an encounter with Jesus. So, what happens? When he, this is verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And I adjure you, I beg you, by God, do not torment me. This is a curious exchange. Something within this man recognizes Jesus as who he is beyond just his name. He's got a title, Son of the Most High God. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is, really, this is really key to how I understand Jesus throughout the whole rest of the scriptures, how I understand Jesus personally, is he addresses people in the eyes and he says, what is your name? Now, And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, Legion is uh, a term for the Roman military. It's a large company of of fighters. And so this is kind of a cue, one of those signals there to the reader, to an Israelite, that this is a place on the other side. These are the far-right conservatives or the ultra-liberals, whatever side, they are on the other end of things. And here's this man saying, my name is Legion. It's a signal for we are many. You know, it goes from my to we. This is a tricky situation. And, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Okay, so here's this exchange. It's pretty interesting. You have all these kinds of exorcisms in the ancient literature where it's really about trying to take control and having the most power. And one of the ways you do that is by knowing the name. If you know the name of somebody, you can name the person or the entity, then you have some control over them. So you can see that they name Jesus right away. So you've got the demons in this case inhabiting this man, trying to take control of Jesus, but not having much luck. And now when Jesus wants to inquire about the name, they say, no, we are many. They're totally evasive and also a picture of how bad off this guy is. Not just a single demon, but a whole company of them are inhabiting him. And they say, don't just drive us out of the country. They beg. They barter with Jesus, these demons. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. This is verse 11. Okay, so pigs are another one of those cues. If you know anything about Judaism, 
Pigs are not kosher. You're not supposed to eat pigs. It's unclean. They're dirty. They're, not, they're absolutely despicable. And here's a whole herd of pigs because these people in this part of the world were, were raising pigs to feed the Roman military. This is so many strikes against this community. So far off. Why would Jesus be here? Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And there's great surprise. Jesus accommodates to them. He's in verse 13, so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And we can see the intent of these demons by how the pigs respond. They enter the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So you don't even have to be Christian or Jewish to understand that if there are demons, demons are seeking to destroy humanity, to deform humanity, to deform people, to hurt, to ruin, to erase the image of God from a person as much as they can. That is the role of demons here. And so they take the pigs, and they're drowned in the sea. Now, verse 14, the herdsmen fled. They told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw a demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Well, that's a strange response, isn't it? Think of people you might have met that were just so far out there, you were scared of them, and now they have an encounter of some kind, and it's rippled throughout nature, throughout creation, these pigs having this crazy response, jumping off the edge of a cliff into the water. They come and they see this man in his right mind, sitting there, clothed, and they were afraid. And verse 16, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And their response, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Like, get out of here. We don't know what's going on, but we don't want this around. And if you think about it, the pigs, that's 2,000 pigs, this is a big portion of their economy is absolutely ruined for this one crazy man who cut himself walking around in tombs crying out to the open air. Now, verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, with Jesus. And this is the one time that I can tell in the entire Gospel of Mark where Jesus says no to someone who wants to follow him. And this is for a whole nother sermon. This is a very interesting point of this story. But listen to what he says. Jesus, in verse 19, he says, He did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home and tell some stories. He says, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And so some people see this as, as this man is kind of one of the first missionaries outside of Israel. This man who was the worst off has this radical transformation. 
was dramatic. Now, I think a lot of us, I have a lot of conversations with people, and this is the kind of transformation they want, is these dramatic, complete reversals. Now, but would you want to be the guy who's in the tombs cutting himself, calling out into the open air? No, you know, we're not that bad off, most of us. Some of us are. But let's not wish upon ourselves some great, terrible drama and, and tragedy just so we can be pulled out of this muck, all right? But still, we long for these stories of transformation. I'm going to tell you something that happened in my life that was kind of dramatic early on. Okay, so I... In high school, I was not happy with life. I was not happy with myself. I was, I was all, had all kinds of suicidal fantasies on and off. And I just remembered today that I used to take old cassette tape covers and smash them. Think of CD cases or DVD cases. I don't even know. Jewel cases. Sharp plastic. And I would cut myself almost to the point of blood. So it wasn't that serious, obviously, or else I would have gone deeper. But there was that drive in me to just want to harm myself. And I don't think, and I know enough people who are cutters, who, who this is a form of legitimate self-harm, that this is an issue. This is a real thing. And there's a whole hundred other ways in which we do self-harm to ourselves. Maybe not physically, but emotionally. We sabotage our lives. We do all kinds of crazy things. We're completely out of sorts. That's where I was in high school and leading up into university. I had an encounter with Jesus. I started following Jesus around 18, 19 years old. And I began this path, and I can tell you about that some other time. But somewhere within those first couple of years, I remember, I was at this church. I was meeting in an orange grange. It's a place to store oranges. It was between Bellingham and the border, a place called Custer. And I got in this church. I had to drive my dilapidated old uh, quarter-ton truck out to this place just to get there. I didn't have insurance. I mean, I was, this is, what did I know? I'm 20 years old at the time. But I do remember this particular Sunday morning, I was in the shower, and I was harassed. I was in a bad place, mostly spiritually. I felt like just curling up in the fetal position in that shower and just weeping, as if demons were attacking me. Now, you might, you might, think I'm just going nuts. There are no such thing as demons and the rest. What do I know? I'm in a bad spot. That's all I know. It was all I could do to get to church. And I remember saying, I am so worthless. I am so worthless. There's nothing good in me. That's, that's the singular thought that consumed me. Now I get to this church. Then we're not talking thriving mega church here. We're talking 60, 70 people in this Orange Grange and there was a time of music, and the pastor, I remember, he said, you know what, raise your hand if you, you need prayer, and we'll do it while we're singing. And so I raised my hand, obviously, not in a good spot. And this, this elderly woman comes to me, who I, I can't even remember her face at this point. And she puts her hand on my head and starts praying for me. And it was good enough, it was nice, you know, general stuff. I mean, never turn down free prayer, that's sort of one of my life mottos. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, thanks, you know. And then there's this pause, or her hand is on my head. Like, weird pause, you know. It, it's only a few seconds, but 
I don't know this person, and she's praying over me. And she moves her hand to my belly, and I feel this convulsion. I feel a physical reaction to that. And she says, she says, you are worthy because Christ has made you worthy. And when you believe that, rivers of living water will flow through your belly. And I tell you what, I felt like there was rivers of water flowing through my belly. And I imagined myself in a hammock in some Hawaiian setting, sipping lemonade. I mean, it was like this visual explosion and physical. And there was a transformative moment there. It was a major pivot. Where I said to myself then, to whatever degree my, de- my depression was, was tied to self-pity, I can no longer go there anymore. So from that point on, 20 years old, it's not that I was never depressed again. But that significant piece of the depression was gone. Now it came a later, later stage. Let's say five years later, I'm in the Yukon. It was not a good place. It was dark, and I was bipolar, by condition, uh, by environment, I mean. Not, I was crazy cold and dark. And I definitely didn't want to live. And I left the Yukon suicidal. I mean, I just kept fantasizing about driving off the edge of the road. It was, it was not in a good spot. I'm in, my li- I'm in my house, in company housing. By the time I get back to Skagway, Alaska, where I worked as a tour guide, so there's some familiar faces. I had a roommate with a guy named Daryl. And we were about to go to sleep. And I just said, you know what, Daryl? I just realized I haven't been prayed for for seven months. And he said, well, let me pray for you. And I told him all about my pitiable state, and he prayed for me. It was nothing spectacular. It was nothing dramatic, but the effect was dramatic. And I tell you, I mean, like that, it, it was gone. It was gone. So I no longer struggle with depression at all. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I, I am afflicted with, uh, with dark thoughts by circumstance. I have difficult things in my life at times, and it does, life can be depressing, and the rational response is depression. But it's not the same kind of clinical thing as it was. And God transformed me. That's my story. But I'm going to go on, because that's not the whole story. And sometimes we just share the, those highlights and act like that's the whole of life. That was 20 years old. I'm, I'm 45 now. That was 25 years ago, and then 20 years ago, in two stages, let's call it. I got plenty of other issues. That was a big one. But I got plenty of other issues. Now, I was going to go to the Apostle Paul. If you would flip forward to 2 Corinthians, you know, chapter 12, okay? He's in a situation where he's, he's right at a Corinth, and they've got this, uh, they're like, who's the most spiritual? That's sort of like top three spiritual people in our community. That's how they were kind of ranking them. That was sort of the scene. And Paul's having to defend himself and go like, okay, if you're going to play that game, let me, I know a guy, you know, he's talking about himself, who visited third heaven, had all kinds of crazy mystical experiences and encounters with Jesus. I know a guy, and he clearly had some big things happen. But, he says, look, go, to, go to verse 7, second half. He said, a thorn was given me in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan, he says, to harass me. Not interesting. Okay, Paul himself already had a radical transformation. He was, he was one of the ones who was hunting down Christians to see them executed for blasphemy. And he has an encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus, on the road to Damascus, to Damascus, where Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? It's a major shift in Paul's life. Now he goes from the persecutor to now one of the founders of the Christian faith, planting churches throughout the whole area. So he's already had a radical transformation, but then he goes, but the Lord, uh, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me. I'm like, gee whiz, that's a big deal. I thought, well, I wanted to come and talk to you about how God transforms dramatically and instantly sometimes, and then sometimes God dramatically transforms people in very small increments slowly over time. But as I was more carefully reading this section, I realized that's not what this section is about. God's not transforming Paul. He's not changing. He's not taking the thorn from him. He's okay with Paul having some issues. We don't know what they were. Might have been health. Might have been something more internal, character something. We don't know. We're given no access to that. And it's from Satan, from Paul's mouth, it's from Satan. Listen, 8, verse 8, chapter 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Because why would the Lord want Paul, the founder, one of the founders of the faith, to have some distraction? Right? That's how I feel about some of my issues. Like, come on, I could be so much more effective if I didn't have this and this and this issue. Paul had one. But he, the Lord, said to me, to Paul, my grace is sufficient, is enough for you. For my power is made perfect, made complete in weakness. And here's Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Isn't that interesting? He's going to boast about his lack that the power, the presence of Christ who fills that lack will be present with him. He's going to chase down the Christ. I've been processing this. And here, here's what I think this means. In my own experience, I've got a number of things where I will, even that story I just told you, you'd think I would be, every day of my life, would be praising God at the, at the top of my lungs, shouting from the rooftops how God trans, has transformed me and is doing so as we go. Guys, gals, I get complacent. I don't tell this story very much. <laughs> I take it for granted what God has already done, and I grouse and I gripe about the things that still need to get done. Because I'm focusing on the good and my lack rather than the good one. I'm more comfortable sometimes talking about a system of ethics, of morality, even of goodness, apart from the relationship with God and Christ. 
And because Jesus is merciful, and because Jesus is gracious, he will not let us do that. He will give you affliction so that you will never forget that. He will give you some habits that will run you in circles if you stray from his presence and his power. I'll tell you mine. Food, I can eat junk food. I could eat junk food like no one else. And I will gain weight. And I had gained weight a lot. And it was, well, I even knew. I knew this isn't good for my body, but I'm not in a good place. This is the way to like slowly kill myself over time, and no one will say anything about it. <laughs> so sick and twisted. Okay? Food, fantasy, and fiction. I will watch Netflix 12 hours straight if I have a seizure and I feel like I'll give myself permission. It was like, time is gone. <laughs> right? And I will I'm like, great, this is... This is like an approved way of just getting to be lazy and distracted for days. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. <laughs> this didn't actually happen this last, but it did, it did happen. Like I give myself permission. I remember thinking, what am I doing when I'm giving myself permission to comfort myself? Did I pray more? I tell you I didn't. Did I seek comfort? Yes, we all will. Where did I seek comfort? That's revealing. I'm sure I put on a couple pounds. Let's just put it that way. I went to places of comfort and I tried to soothe myself. And it's not enough. It's just, it's just now I got, now I got to get, lose the weight. <laughs> now I got to go, well, shoot. I can't, now I got to put restrictions on how much time I spend watching Netflix. Okay, this is the thing. It, listen to Paul in verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. He says that. Look, at, look what he says. I am content with weakness, with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Why is he strong? Because Christ, the power of Christ, is with him. This is how you be gooder. This is how you break habits. It's to chase down Christ. I'm telling you, you've, you've tried it. You've tried to be better. Sometimes you are. Sometimes you even manage to get into a system and get into rhythm and develop some new habits. But like, what's the hit rate there? How many times does that happen compared to how many bad habits you have? Not high. If I stray from Christ too long, when I make it about being good, I will go and do a bunch of good and come home exhausted and soothe myself and get into some nasty habits and have all these other kind of weird thoughts to go, well, my public life and my personal life are so different, and then it then steals my joy, then I get sad, then it's the whole cycle. No. Here, God transforms, and he will, and he does. I'm going to go allegory. This is my last bit. The story of the demon-possessed man is captivating me for the last month because it tells me that God, that Christ himself goes into the shadows, goes into those unholy places, and he addresses people by name. You and me. 
he goes into the shadows and he addresses people by name. And sometimes there's dramatic, sudden change. And you know what? I could always complain, why not more sudden dramatic changes? Why are they so selective? Why do you have to wait so long for this, however this man was cutting himself in tombs? What about all of the pain up to that point? You could go drive yourself mad with all those questions. But he controls it, and our job is to chase him down, and he is eager to be present with us, and sometimes there's dramatic sudden change. More often, there's dramatic long-term change. And sometimes, he's just going to leave something behind as a reminder, as sort of a leash. Don't get too far away from me, he says, because I am the good. Jesus is the good. He is the good one. We want the results without the relationship, and he will not give them to us because he loves you and you and you and me. He wants us. It's not strictly about goodness. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for crossing the sea. And thank you for entering into tombs. And thank you for taking my irrational behavior and clothing them, clothing me and situating me, giving me a right mind. God, forgive me and forgive us for chasing goodness apart from you. God, we want to be transformed. We long to be loved. We long to love you. We long to love each other. We long to be settled in ourselves. Would you hear our cries, Lord? Jesus' name. Light up every path, be our strength and be our guide. You guide Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP written and arranged by Coco Relieve and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. see you as you are, you open